Hello, everyone. It's Kevin McDonald, executive producer for New Mexico in Focus, and this is Friday, January 17th, 2020. This is the last uh, New Mexico in Focus before the start of the 30-day legislative session, and we've got a lot planned. I want to start off by telling you a little bit about the day of, which is also the State of the State Address. So that's next Tuesday, January 21st. We will be live streaming as soon as the legislature kicks off around noon, and then we'll have the governor's speech when she comes out, probably somewhere between 1 and 1.30ish. We will also be airing that speech live on channel 5.1. After the speech is done, we will have a special panel of former lawmakers that will be joining us to break down everything that the governor lays out in her speech. And also want to let you know, programming note, because the Senate impeachment trial will also be starting on Tuesday. You'll be able to follow that along on channel 9.1 when we are in the state of the state if you want to keep track of that. This week on the show, it's all legislative preview, and it kicks off with an outstanding interview with Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Senior producer Matt Grubbs talks to her all about education reform, how the Yazi Martinez uh, case, court case, is impacting her plans for those education reforms. There's a lot of talk about budget. There is talk about public safety, a lot of discussion as well about climate change, particularly the tightrope that is trying to move towards renewable energy while also understanding that the budget surplus that we're now dealing with is because of oil and gas extraction, particularly in the Permian Basin. So the governor has a lot of really interesting things to say about that. We even talked some about water. So this is a great interview. We really hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming in. A boatload to talk with you about, but we appreciate your time. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Matt. Thank you. Let's start with um, let's start with education, um, the biggest chunk of the state budget. Um, the plaintiffs in the Yazi Martinez lawsuit have um, hinted that last year, even with the teacher raises, um, have amounted to window dressing. Schools have complained about equity council requirements, especially charter schools. Um, how do you move beyond increasing teacher salaries um, into whatever? phase two of this looks like? So I, I think that that's part of the misnomer. Uh, you don't move on, you keep building and investing. It should be strategic and meaningful and you should get to the outcomes that we all desire, right? Which is we're graduating more of our students, that they're ready for college, they're ready for work, they're ready for life. Uh, when we do that, and we will, then uh, we will hit that benchmark and there'll be other challenges for us to do even better or to create more flexibility in a public education system. So you're never gonna be done, but you should be smart, strategic, efficient. So we're asking for 4% in teacher raises again, when what we want, and we wanna make sure that the issues that the court identified with the plaintiffs, all fair. Uh, we have no argument that New Mexico's failing its children in a number of places, minority students and special education. So we're continuing to invest in those strategies and programs. And then also we want to get a head start, if you will, which is we got to do better for infant mental health, home visiting, family support, all the way to early childhood education. Unless we do that, you're always trying to catch up. And the advocates are pointing that out, that we are so far behind, we're catching up. I'm looking for a universal strategic plan that solves these problems for a lifetime. Can you sell that to the court? 
I think we have already. I mean, the, I mean, the early childhood stuff, I, not just education? I, I, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, and I want to be careful here. We've gotten out of two major consent decrees that collectively were over 60 years of court-ordered mm. work. The Duran Consent Decree in Corrections and the Jackson, which is the developmentally disabled issues about whether or not we were serving that population appropriately in New Mexico at the Department of Health. We've settled every behavioral health uh, lawsuit and challenge about eroding behavioral health. So we're serious about doing what, when the court says we've done something wrong, get it fixed. But notice we don't have a consent decree in education. We should not. Education policy should happen at the state. The implementation of that should happen locally with local controls, parental involvement, school boards, school districts. That partnership, uh, I think, is sacrosanct. We just need to give them the tools and resources. They need the flexibility to get it done, and we need to make sure that they're accountable. We're going to keep investing in that strategy, and I really believe it's going to pay off, including now, as you know, we're asking for a college. We want free college for two and four year degrees, and we feel really confident that we're going to get the right kind of attention out of this legislative session. The Speaker of the House, uh, Brian Egolf, wanted much larger raises this time around for teachers. Uh, is there wiggle room there, or do you think with the budget that you've crafted and what you've seen come out of the LFC, which is also lower, um, that you're about as high as you can go? Well, there's a whole lot of unmet issues that need to be addressed, and we also want to make sure that we hit those accountability issues. Now, I, I want to be cautious. There's nothing in my administration that suggests that uh, we are doing enough to make the classroom a productive place for educators, right? They get kids who are homeless and hungry and sick and they're crowded and they don't have the right special education support and we it's been a long time since we invested in them we weren't paying for their professional development so we're going to keep building and the big issue really is this legislative session we think not quite ready yet we think we have a strategy to lower their health care costs which i committed to on the campaign trail and you can do all the raises that you want but if they're out-of-pocket costs every time you do that for everything else that there's nothing to take home then you can't keep that home in your family. And so we, we, we've got to deal with that. So I want to make sure that it's broad. It's not K through 12. That's critical. But you got to go at the front end, early childhood. you got to do college. We want to make sure that we're building the economy. These are the twin pillars of making sure that we're not uh, stuck in a poverty cycle. Right? It can't just be a one step. It's every session. These ought to be the twin pillars. Education and economy. Education and economy. And then we got to deal with public safety and crime. We got to deal with the environment. Sure, sure. Right? We've got to deal uh, with any number of healthcare issues. So if we're going to do all of that so that every New Mexican feels like we're moving in the right direction, we feel very confident about what we've asked for in education. And everyone who's advocating for more respect for educators, uh, good for them. It gives us a lot to talk about during the session. Um, you've asked for $35 million um, for your opportunity scholarships, which right? is the, the filling in the gaps right, um, for, that, for that college fund. Um, an estimated 55,000 students. The math that we did says that's $636 a student. Um, how is that helpful? Well, because it's building on things that we already have, right? So the lottery scholarships aren't gone, but we know that we don't 
get as much out of the lottery fund. Uh, it also means that they pay a portion and that portion hasn't been enough. And yeah, got to go right out of high school and that's not available for a whole lot of New Mexico students, including adult students and veterans who want to go back to school. So we're still going to use those resources. We're going to use the opportunity scholarships. And in addition, uh, we're going to make sure that we don't leave on the table any federal uh, support like Pell Grants. So we took the balance that we still need to make sure that all the tuition costs are covered, no matter where you choose to go, two-year or four-year schools. That's how the math works. Okay, and this will be good for associate's degrees yep. uh, as well, trades? Two-year, four-year like trades, all of it. Okay. All of it. And again, you want, you want your families, your kids to stay here? and make uh, college free. Early childhood, that's maybe the one issue in the budget that everybody saw, wow, there's a big difference between what you think um, it's gonna take to get that department up and on its feet and what lawmakers think. Um, how do you account for that? It's about a $50 million difference. How do you, how do you account for that? Well, so uh, for, for viewers, and they're gonna say, oh, the governor got in the weeds. I'm gonna get in the weeds. I want everyone to take a sip of coffee and water and get ready. <laughs> So the, uh, the LFC, so the, the legislative arm that does the analytical work, used, in my opinion, I mean, th this is fact, but I think that they didn't do it on purpose, but didn't quite look at where we already are in terms of childcare assistance. So last administration was at 150% of poverty. That means that you got a subsidy for childcare. We pay one of the highest per capita costs for childcare. You want to improve child well-being, we need safe, quality child care. Uh, you have to do it. We got sued before I became governor, so they went to 200%, never had the budget. I stayed at 200%. I need that money in the budget. That's $26 million that the uh, legislature in their analytical work did not account for. Uh, now they're aware of that. I think we're not going to have a, a debate about that. And then another $15 million is for wage subsidies. So we talked about teachers, K through 12. Well, if you're paying minimum wage to early childhood educators, it's tough to say to them to do the professional development and to be part of the best high quality system if they're underpaid and uh, um, undervalued. Those are the two big sticking points, not about whether or not the department ought to move forward. And in fact, there's complete agreement and we've got a Senate bill out of the Senate Finance Committee and a House bill for a $320 million fund that starts to create in the same way we fund um, K through 12, We'll have a, a, a fund that grows, that gets us to $285 million in annual investments that will pay for 50,000 um, three and four year olds to go to school. Um, are you predicting that you will need additional infusions down the road into that fund? Because um, the estimates are what, 25, 30 million dollars a year maybe coming out of it if you funded at 320, 325. Um, that's you know a third or a quarter of what some of the advocates have been asking for in the the other way with the constitutional amendment. Correct. I, it's it is part of a strategy. Okay. So the fund isn't just taking uh, one-time monies and getting into a fund. It also the legislation looks at the we've got a bunch of what we're calling now rainy day funds. I mean that's something that New Mexico, unlike a whole lot of states in the country, has been really effective at, which is when we have a boom and when we've got a, an economy that gives us some resources, we set them aside. So that's what we're doing with this early childhood fund. But then you got to find a vehicle actually to keep funding it. There's another 
fund. Representative Latanyaga was looking at excess oil and gas fees in Texas right. and put them into another rainy day fund. Well, it is exceeding by far all expectations. So we want to take that excess, not the whole thing, and we want that then to be a recurring vehicle to build the early childhood fund. And New Mexicans should expect that we'll continue to debate that the land grant permanent fund has some room to also help build early childhood education. As we do that, you will get to having a, uh, uh, 285 million or That's so. That's your available. target, okay. That's the target. And we think we get there in about six, eight years. And that's a reasonable framework for getting it done and getting a quality, accountable, productive early childhood education system in the state. Okay. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to crime, not unrelated, because education and, and crime are closely related. All. It's all related. Sure, sure. Um, so walk with me here. Um, sure. Both Republicans and Democrats have, have pushed to tighten laws. Um, and often when we say tighten laws, we're talking about um, getting rid of loopholes for conviction or um, increasing penalties. And there are five bills on your call right now that have that. Um, we've talked about tweaking pretrial release. Um, to be able to presumably keep more people um, in jail ahead of conviction. You've said it's not right to keep people in jail because they're poor. Um, the Constitution doesn't just guarantee them their freedom, it guarantees them a defense. Um, Raul Torres, the DA in Bernalillo County, got $6 million extra last year. The ju judiciary um, has languished for a long time. Um, pay scale is very low for judges. Courts haven't expanded. Uh, that creates an incentive for plea bargains, creates an incentive for prosecutors to overcharge um, and then bargain that down. And it also erodes relationships, which means uh, this state has done a whole lot of this. Matt, crime is your fault. So you do that to the police, you do that to elected leaders, you do that to the uh, public defenders, you do that to the prosecutors, you do that to the judges. Well, I'm, I'm tired of that. Uh, I can understand that having inequities and we never funded the entire judicial system has been part of what's led us to a very unsavory, unacceptable situation, not just here in Albuquerque, but statewide. So it's time to stop doing that and resolve these issues. And so you bet, we're looking at ways where more money for police officers. We, get, we did raises for police officers last year. We did equipment and vehicles, making sure they have the personnel. Same thing we want for judges uh, and we want to invest in the judiciary. And you know, I, I uh, want to see what happens with the Supreme Court Commission. Everything I know about the pretrial pre detention tool uh, and I know that, again, we're in the weeds. So how do they look at risk factors? If you're a habitual Gets or out high prior. risk, that's okay. right, you don't get out. So now we're not looking at income. We're, we're clear, if you're a risk at all, you have to stay in jail pending your trial. That's how the tool should work. That's how it should work in every state in the country. Where these tools are being used by judges, they seem to work better than they work here. There's a whole also by prosecutors, you yes. gotta, because the court has studied this and they said that it turns out, especially in the in the second judicial district, that prosecutors aren't asking for pretrial detention. No, enough. they're not filing the right motions. And so everything is wrong. 
We have to tackle all of it, and I have no patience, and nobody does anymore, and they shouldn't for any of it. So I want to know what the judges say, and we'll know in March. We're going to make sure that this tool gets used appropriately. We have to mandate that every single DA has a the tools and resources, go to court, make the case, make it in every district. And we want extended enhanced penalties for high risk crimes, including using a gun in the, in the course of a felony. That really changed the public safety issues in states like New York. And I think that they are meaningful here. Um, I want to keep rolling here. Um, a lot of what you and I have talked about has been um, kind of longitudinal. Um, looking at things, if you spend the money now, you're going to see the results in a decade or six years, eight years, something like that. Um, the one area where that uh, is, is not the case is climate change. Scientists are in broad agreement that there needs to be action now. Such a tricky, sticky wicket, as they say for us, right? Because um, we're rich right now because of oil and gas, um, primarily oil. Um, and replacing them doesn't bring the same kind of economic benefit. Um, how do you make that pivot right now? Where is that program? So I, I think we've made it. Now, uh, you're, you're going to say, oh, you haven't if you're still getting a billion dollars <laughs> in oil and gas. But if we want the world to be carbon neutral, then you got to show that it's cheaper, it's available, and this is a state that's going to lead the country in exporting, say, wind energy. We have the capacity to do that. We have the largest wind now investments in the country. Transmission lines uh, will be done in about 24 months, right? You can That's you in can your call, build. right? So, uh, part of that, PRC okay. and related ETA issues are on the call, but the investments and the strategies to get there are done. And New Mexico, quite frankly, is being looked at internationally as a leader in moving to an environmental and renewable energy system that makes sense for everyone, whether you're in a rural place or an urban place, and that you can actually export. And we know that we can use that energy here, but can you actually export it in the same way that you do fossil fuels? You want other countries to use their renewable energy? They have to see how states like, particularly a poor state, like New Mexico can make that pivot. But it can't be, as you said, a dollar for dollar. It's not the only economic shift. That's why we've got a nine economic sector strategy. They are all growing from aerospace to cybersecurity. And uh, look what we've got in the whole, in this year, 15,000 plus jobs, right? That's more than in a couple of decades. We've been in the top 10 uh, growing economies last several months, top six growing economies, top in the top 10 uh, uh, economic growth for personal income, small business growth. US News says best outdoor economic opportunities in the country. Uh, and there are states now I can remember campaigning, why can't we be like Colorado? Why can't we be like Arizona? Well now Colorado's got a whole lot to be jealous of, not just our chili. Our value added ag is moving, hemp and pecans. We're leading the country in so many places. That's how you move from this juxtaposition. You have other reliable, diversified economic resources. We're now seeing people moving to New Mexico, not leaving New Mexico. And we've got real challenges still. Institutional poverty, child well-being, which is tied to that, public safety. But people see that New Mexico is making the right shifts towards solving its problems and investing in its future. I feel really good about in one year being able to make that kind of a shift. And we're going to keep doing that 
so that the challenges that we have get diminished year after year after year. And this is a leading state in any number of areas. But the reason we're able to do that um, in large part is because we pull so much oil out of the ground. It is. And, and climate scientists are in agreement that we have to stop. And not stop, just like stop by 2040. So the right. folks who are doing this aren't doing methane. Right, which means we are going to hold you accountable for methane leaks and we're looking ways to reuse methane. So I'm hopeful that in a year you invite me back and uh, maybe we'll be looking at brand new software that on your cell phone you're going to get uh, an alert that tells you where a methane leak is in New Mexico, and it's also going to tell you how long it took us to get it out uh, of the, uh, to get it stopped. And remember that oil and gas, which we know, no question is responsible for climate change, but not by itself. So is the agricultural sector, so is the transportation sector. So I'm not just focused on But the transportation on sector is oil and gas, too. I mean, it's... Yeah, but you have to do something about it, right? If, if, if you don't change the way in which we do transportation, then you haven't solved your reliance on oil and gas. So, and if you don't have more renewable energy and you have electric cars, and you're still generating electricity using fossil fuel and coal. You have to think about all of it and strategically you have to deal with all of it. So we are one of the only states that's got a real serious healthy soils initiative. You know that soil captures more carbon uh, than anything else. And simple stuff, we need to plant more trees. Expect our ag department to be embracing doing all of those things. We're not just gonna let oil and gas be the place that we take that money, but we ignore that it's gotta be cleaned up, held accountable, but all the other sectors have to be addressed simultaneously, or you're really not gonna to get to a place where you're dealing with climate change. And New Mexico's identified, and good for us, as an international leader in that effort. And the quicker we get to the places on all three sectors that make a difference, then we get to a place where we don't have to talk about oil and gas reliance. Um, I can hear the voice of our environmental reporter, Laura Paskison, um, <laughs> in my head saying, ask about water, ask about water. Um, we had a great year last year, um, but what we saw was that it, was, it wasn't enough. I mean, it, it started to refill reservoirs. Um, Climate change, we are a drought-ridden, too hot state. Yes. We're not going to have enough. We're only going to get hotter. Laura is right. Okay. Um, so what's, what's the plan? Um, what does New Mexico need to do? Um, when we don't have a great water year? Um, do we need to move away from water intensive crops? Do we need to buy water from, from farmers um, and say like, look, we'll pay you to stop doing this? So we, we, we gotta look at all of it. Every idea has to be on the table, which is why our state engineer, John D'Antonio, is working on a 50 year water plan. And same thing, you have to have acute measures immediately, like our produced water effort, which means an independent academic institution is gonna use, ah, innovation and science to make sure that we're not using fresh water in any industry, but why are we using fresh water in oil and gas? That doesn't make any sense when clearly we need it for ag and drinking water and business development and security for our future. So we're gonna have to put every idea on the table, including brackish water. Uh, there are lots of countries, not the least of which are Spain and Israel, that do a much better job, not just at uh, managing agricultural investments for water, but reusing wastewater. Well, we need to test that science here. We have two national labs who can figure out a ton of that on our behalf. They're staffed up. Uh, they're beginning to have the kind of resources to engage in any number of scientific achievements. 
all of the above. Matt, we have to do all of the above. And we have incredible brackish water reserves. What can we be doing with them? What kind of industries can uh, benefit from that? And now with the pivot to different energy sources and newer technology, it's not as expensive and energy intensive. Uh, and the one thing that we didn't talk about water is New Mexico needs to clean up its water, which means uh, meaningful work and the environment department is on it to make sure that we finish what we started with the jet fuel spill, that we have to finish what we've started with PFAS and other fire retardant chemicals that are forever chemicals that are moving into freshwater supplies. So we're going to do all of it in the state and take seriously that even if you had all the water that you wanted, you cannot waste it, you can't mistreat it, uh, and without water there's nothing we can do. Well, thanks for all your time. We know you have much more to do, um, but we hope to check in with you during the session and, and hopefully after as well. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So our line panel for this week also got a chance to hear that interview with Governor Lujan Grisham and talk about what they heard her say and maybe didn't say. It's a great group. We've got line regular Serge Martinez a associate professor at UNM at the law school. We've got Martha Burke. Uh, she is a political psychologist and an expert on women's issues. Her new book, well, new edition of her book, Your Voice, Your Vote, just came out this week. She's always got really great insights, as well as also on the show this week, we have Tom Garrity on the line, and we have Christelle Ciarza. And again, they break down everything they heard in the governor's speech, as well as some thoughts on the upcoming legislative session. So we hope you enjoyed this discussion as well. Our line panelists watched the interview with the governor, which by the way, we had to edit for time. You can watch the entire conversation online at our websites. Now, lawmakers aren't going to be short on things to do, certainly. We want to know how realistic her expectations are. Here to answer that question, we're joined by Lane Regular and UNM Law Professor Serge Martinez. We welcome longtime friend of the show, Martha Burke, political psychologist and author of the book, Your Voice, Your Vote. Crystal Ciarza is here. She's back at our table. She's the president and owner of Ciarza Social Digital. And rounding out the table is another line, regular Tom Garrity, principal of the Garrity Group PR. Thank you all for being here. Now, Martha, how do you see Michelle Lujan Grisham's chances of convincing lawmakers to pass meaningful legislation? This is a big list we're going to get into how does she get into this situation? Well, she's very ambitious. Mm -hmm. She's very good at many things she does. Uh, some of the things, though, what particularly struck my eye or ear mm -hmm. uh, was the College for All. Uh, yeah. uh, that's in the national debate, as we know, uh, on the national stage, can yep. we afford it and so forth. But the unanswered question to me in New Mexico, because we're definitely a two-tiered economy here, we have some of the poorest people in the nation. Our kids are 49th, I think, in child well-being. Mm -hmm. And we have some very <clears throat> rich people, as I've said, that could actually buy the college. Mm -hmm. So does that mean everyone, or does it mean those who need it most? Is there going to be a cutoff and so forth? I don't think it's got a chance of passing this session, yeah. but I think it's good to bring it up. Sure, absolutely. Let's talk about the overall, the, uh, Tom, I'll turn to you on this one, the Early Childhood Trust Fund. That idea has been sort of floated out there for a few years, but it looks like it's reality now. And the numbers are pretty daunting. I mean, you're talking, her plan is to have 320 million to work with over time. She's looking long game here to have a, about 285 to work with. Plausible, realistic. Is this the, way, the best way to go? 
John Arthur Smith is on board. Well, yeah, and that, you know? that was really, you know, that's, the, that's the deal maker right there. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you know, with Senator Smith uh, being, you know, an advocate for this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, for, for that particular bill, it'll be interesting to see what is put in there and what is taken out uh, before it actually makes it up to the fourth floor. But I right. think that, you know, it's, it's a great solution. Uh, it provides uh, Senator Smith a chance to protect the permanent land grant funds. Mm -hmm. Uh, yet provides an opportunity when we have, you know, uh, what, $800 million of new monies coming in, mm -hmm. uh, gives a chance to redirect those uh, into something that's near and dear to the governor's heart. Right. Serge, she's talking K through college. It's mm -hmm. not just a little sweet spot. She's talking, you know, this money's going to go a lot of different places. How did you hear it as an educator? How did you hear that plan? Well, I think it's, <clears throat> it's fantastic to hear a focus on education because we know that investments in education can pay off. Um, significantly, not just financially, but socially, uh, folk, you know, more holistically. I think it's easy when we hear this to think, oh, the solution to education is to, you know, give people more schooling, more teachers. I love it, but it's also important to see this doesn't <coughs> happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. That, for example, um, housing instability means it's hard for you to go to school. It's hard for you to keep, right. you know, um, keep learning and and achieve the things we want folks to achieve. So. If I can just keep going to that point, right? If, if you're a, from a low-income family that's constantly being evicted or having to relocate, then all this money that's you're you know going into your school or your teachers is not going to be as not going to benefit you the way it would if we look mm -hmm. at it as well as talking as seeing education is not just a schools thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think we it's a great place to start, but it's really important to understand that to support education requires you know, giving folks the ability to take advantage of that that education as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Crystal, she was, uh, meaning the governor, was very strong with Matt about the idea that this is all part of a bigger picture, of course, economic development, health and well-being. She's term two pillars a lot. I exactly right. Touch on that if you would. Um, you know, so <coughs> it's, Pardon. you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative of, you know, it's night and day compared to where we were three to four years mm -hmm. ago in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, economy is one pillar and education is another pillar. Um, you know, and I always look at, you know, something she said particularly that was really interesting was the bill has to make sure that there's partisan so, or bipartisan support and we right. can't quote can't get enough we, we have to make sure we get enough votes um, and you know sometimes what we don't see unless you're actually in the roundhouse on a regular basis is you know the the chess game that all of our legislators are playing and so you know I'll, I'll, I'll move to cannabis as a perfect mm -hmm. example mm -hmm. um, and, and I would have to disagree with you with the word ambitious. Like, never, she's a pretty strong-willed woman, and, and her ambition can actually translate into a good strategy. Oh, I don't disagree yeah. with that. Yeah, so a good strategy to actually get it passed specifically, or as an example, with cannabis, right? The cannabis industry, um, we'll see if whether or not it actually gets out of a committee because the committee is really where it could be signed out. It depends on who, you know, which floor talks to another floor, which office talks to another office, and I think that's really critical. Mm -hmm. And she said something specifically about that point that reminded me of what a, a local civic leader, who I'll leave his name out, you know, when I asked him about what does political office look like or what does that look like to run for political office, and he said, it has to be serendipitous. Mm. So cannabis is not going to be serendipitous in this in this instance because it's not necessarily what the fourth floor can say. It's not what the Senate or or House can agree upon. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, working indirectly and directly with the cannabis industry here in town, 
it's going to implode because their industry cannot agree. Right. The manufacturing, the distributing, the, the uh, retail sellers, um, the, the number one producer to the number two, three, and four producer not mm -hmm. agreeing with each other. It, it, I don't think that it can't get passed because of the governor or the legislators. I think it just can't get passed because they just can't agree as an industry. Mm -hmm. Well, she did, she did mm -hmm. say, I don't think it's going to pass. I mean, in so many words, she said that. Uh, she said it's going to be a tough path. What was well, that, that was the I second. It has a tough path, path right? Uh, yeah. She said a that tough was, path. That, when she was challenged a bit, she mm -hmm. did say that. But it's not her pathway. It's not the the government's well, pathway. It's no. It's I the think the question pathway. is this: if you in a short session, and it's supposed to be about the budget, yeah, uh, and you know something isn't going to pass, do you bring it up? I happen to think yes, because I think people need to go on record. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't pass something, particularly the or overturning the abortion restriction we have, right. but other things too. They need to be on record. Mm -hmm. And when she says bipartisan, the implication there is always, well, the Democrats are for it and the Republicans are not. And if you look at the mm -hmm. vote count, that's just not true some of the time. Interesting. Let's bring up crime. She brought up crime, um, mm -hmm. Tom. Uh, she's got five bills and a lot of interesting stuff related to crime. Mm -hmm. A pretty tough stance. She made a point with Matt a couple of times that certain people are going to jail, you know, that jail word was out there quite a bit. Yeah. And it, that's a little bit different for her. I've not heard her speak in those terms necessarily. How did you, how did you, what was your sense of her approach on crime? Uh, I sensed a lot of frustration. Okay. Um, you know, there are a couple of, a uh, couple of bills that address crime, uh, more than a couple. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the 200 pre-files, right. there's uh, probably <laughs> at least a third of them are crime related. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I like the overall approach of what she was talking about. I thought that the extreme risk protection order, mm -hmm. uh, which will end up being, um, you know, carried by Senator Cervantes on Senate Bill 5. Right. Um, you know, a lot of folks are worried about that because they're concerned that, you know, um, it will restrict rights. Well, I think what will happen is, is that we'll see the same thing happen with that particular bill that we saw uh, with the background check bill that will be amended throughout the process. Mm -hmm. So what's in that particular case, what's actually entered in the Senate will eventually change into right. something else by the time it gets to the House. Mm -hmm. I Please. want to comment on that bill. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm the president of the board for the Domestic Violence Resource Center, and for the news that you hear in Christmas break of families, you know, dying because somebody pulls a gun and a murder suicide, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I'm all for. I'm super glad that she put that as a priority because the domestic violence community is going to greatly benefit from this bill, mm -hmm. without a doubt. The advocates. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Surge, the idea of increased penalties for anyway, we got racketeering laws, mm -hmm. mass violence. She's looking at. Uh, operating a vehicle chop shop. There's a lot of things in here about crime, which is great. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody in our state wants to lessen crime. We're all against crime. We're all against crime. <laughs> How much can one do in 30 days, you know, as a priority? It's, it's a difficulty, it seems. Yeah, you know, I think it's a, yeah, it's a big challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the governor has talked about um, data-driven mm -hmm. um, policy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and the ability to have those conversations, thoughtful, policy-based, database, it's, it's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. And so I think the ability to say, we're having a massive chop shop problem. I, this is the first time hearing about this as a, as a so social issue. Um, right. it, very, it very well could be the case. I'm just not um, mm -hmm. up on that. I don't know how many folks um, know the, the data on that. I mean, I think the governor did, she talked about the, the pretrial detention yes. quite a bit. And I think she slightly mischaracterized the law. She said that um, if you're a repeat offender, we're going to keep you, right? The rule is, right. the idea is if you're a flight risk and or if you are going to be a danger to society. And mm -hmm. repeat offender, 
often just means you're poor and are in the sights of the police. Martha, did she address Matt's question about the defense side of the issue? And Matt made a pretty clear point, it seemed to me, about the underfunding of the defense side of this situation. Do you know what I mean? Did you, did yes. you hear enough there from her? I'm sorry to say, Jean, I did not. Okay. Uh, I thought that she sort of danced around that particular point uh, because, <clears throat> as you say, we do have we have underfunding, all right. There are priorities. She sort of said that, right. but she was not specific enough, in my view. Mm -hmm. Let's go to climate change. We got about five minutes left here. Tom, I'll start with you on this one. I loved Matt's question about how do we pivot for something right now versus the longitudinal stuff that she and he were talking about six, eight, ten years down the road, which is fine. We all want that a, a vision. But there's got to be some action on climate stuff right now. Did you hear a, a, an answer on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I heard a lot of things. And having uh, <clears throat> doing a lot of work in the renewable energy industry, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of these continuing themes really resonated. You know, as far as continuing the ETA uh, by you know providing uh, you know certain incentives for transmission lines. Mm -hmm. um, also, the solar um, you know solar tax credits uh, was, right. was discussed as well. Um, the other thing that is really interesting is is that um, I think you'll see uh, Senate Bill Two. Uh, and specifically, Senator Woods, a Republican, uh, carry that bill with respect to the you know the solar uh, aspect. And oh, so, wow. what I think is really important here is that we're seeing that bipartisanship start to take shape in the Senate, right? Uh, which I think is going to be key, especially for all you know, with all 112 seats up for re-election. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a comment you're not going to be seeing a lot of uh, doubling down on the controversial issues. I think you're going to see a, more of a kumbaya over the issues that a lot of folks sure. can, you know can mm -hmm. get together on. Absolutely. Surge, you know the point. I, I love Matt's uh, uh, divining Laura Pascas during that interview right. about yeah, water. That was actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's a big issue, and the governor was very strong on that. But it, did you hear anything that you thought should have been said about water that she didn't? Or, you know, she made a big point about using brackish water, mm -hmm. and, we, and I think her line was, "We've got." Uh, a, a credible brackish water reserves. That might be news to some folks out there. Yeah, I can't speak to the <clears throat> truth or uh, soundness of that um, mm -hmm. assertion, but I do, I mean, I think it's true. The, you know, her conversation comments about, are we using fresh water for oil and gas when we could be? That was very important, state, right? I think. It's, it's refreshing and important that yeah. that not be a tail that wags this whole dog. Yeah, good point there. May I mm -hmm. just address Tom for sure. a minute? Did you mm -hmm. think that the discussion about we're swimming in oil and gas revenue, mainly oil, and how are we going to replace all that with renewable, did you think it was an adequate plan or answer on that one? Um, I did not. I did not. You know, because when you have, you know, it's, this is one of the things that uh, Speaker Egoff was talking about uh, in advance of the session, that this is the stuff that keeps mm -hmm. him up at night, mm -hmm. is you have so much of a <clears throat> focus on climate change and the ETA being so landmark that there's really not much of uh, being addressed as far as how do we wean ourselves off of that oil and gas, mm -hmm. you know, kind of yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I didn't hear that. And still keep money coming in, keep yeah. the bills being paid, yeah. all that kind of thing. Crystal, you want to touch on that too, that um, the environment stuff? It was Yeah, so the only thing I, th I think I was just like seeing what happens, you know, behind the scenes in the legislature or even in front of the scenes is that, you know, I think it, it's always a great intent to put a tax credit on, like the solar tax credit with Senate, you know, Senate bill Senate from uh, Senate bill 29 from Senator Stewart um, and the electric vehicle tax credit. You know, it's good that they're making the effort to do that. I'm mm -hmm. sure it's going to get a message. Um, but one of the things that always happens, it's again, is the tax credits get stuck in committees and never make it out right. onto the floor. Right. And I don't know if people have actually spent a week over at the legislature. I unfortunately have. And, you know, 
the first week is just nothing is really truly getting done. Um, you know, with printing bills and just the, the, the memorandums and blah, blah, blah. And that I just don't think that from a, I know that it's a, po a policy, I applaud her for putting it on the call, mm -hmm. but the two tax credits specifically for solar and electric, I think they're great, but I'm very doubtful that they're going to be at her desk at the end of the 30 days. That's a good point there. Hey, just one segment, a long one for our line panel this week, but you can catch more of their thoughts online by going to our New Mexico in Focus Facebook page. Lastly on the show this week, another outstanding group of folks coming to talk about the legislative session that starts next Tuesday. This is some members of the Capitol Press Corps journalists that will be covering all the ins and outs of this 30-day session, which will have a lot of important things discussed, uh, including the education reform that the governor talked about and what to do with the budget surplus that we have again this year. And so joining us is Trip Jennings of New Mexico In-Depth, Dan McKay of the Albuquerque Journal, and Christian Marquez of New Mexico Searchlight, or Searchlight New Mexico, I should say. Great conversation about what we know is on the governor's call. Again, it's a 30-day session, so it's supposed to focus on the budget, but the governor does have the ability to add a few extra things to the call. And there's about 20-some-odd things that she has uh, added to the call. And so they break down how much of that they think they will get to, what the chances are, what they'll be looking for during the legislative session. Just a lot of great insight here. We hope all this helps prepare you for the session coming up starting on Tuesday, January 21st. The people who will report on the progress or lack thereof during the legislative session are of course the women and men of the Capitol Press Corps. We continue our preview of the session now with NYF correspondent Gwyneth Dolan. These are just three of the many people who will subject themselves to 30 days of lawmaking and dealmaking just so you can have a better idea of what your government does on your behalf. From New Mexico In-Depth, Executive Director and Newspaper Veteran Trip Jennings, Digital Editor for Searchlight New Mexico Christian Marcus, and the Albuquerque Journal's Capitol Bureau Chief Dan Boyd. Welcome gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham has a uh, pocketbook stuffed full of cash from a record high amount of oil revenue coming in. On education, she wants to move to stage two of what she's calling her moonshot for public education. That includes raises for public school teachers, education employees, but also free college. Trip, what does her free college plan look like? Well, she's really proposing a scholarship. This is to replace, and not replace, but in some ways supplement the lottery scholarship that they took money from a few years ago. Uh, what this would do would actually kind of help thousands of students. Uh, you, there are some requirements that the students would have to make, but this is, uh, she's thinking um, that we need a skilled, highly educated workforce, and this is what she's uh, proposing. It's like 55,000 students. Yes, and it's $35 million that, that she's proposing. Uh, I know that uh, lawmakers have a little bit of a different kind of view on this. Dan, you've been up there in the Capitol. What do lawmakers want to do that's different? Yeah, the, the Legislative Finance Committee uh, has come out with its own budget recommendation, which has a uh, similar dollar amount as the governor's recommendation, but it's kind of a different approach. It's uh, you know spending that money about the same 35 million on scholarships, but kind of targeting them more and making them more for um, you know maybe low-income students and not just kind of all New Mexicans um, you know getting basically free college if you if you qualify. What do you guys think is going to happen there? I think I think it's hard to tell on that one. I think that um, you know one that something will probably happen, and I think there will be more attention paid to higher education. Last year it was really yeah. focused on yeah. on K through 12. 
but whether the governor kind of gets this uh, specific plan that she's unveiled, I, I think kind of time will tell on you, that. You're going to have a push from those folks on the left who are talking about like what equity, actually, equity of scholarship, and those on you know right. I, I've, I don't mean to be so simplistic about it, but that's going to be part of the cross currents here. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, I'm with Dan. I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We got cross currents too on early childhood education. Um, she wants an early childhood trust fund with a slightly higher price tag, $320 million, one-time appropriation to go in and then spend the interest on that on early childhood. It is that. There's also kind of a mechanism that they're proposing, like in the out years, that if there's so much invested in the reserves, they hit a point, they start pumping money into this, this uh, trust fund and they hope to have a billion dollars over three years that would produce 40 to $50 million a year to pay for early childhood programs, you know, visiting and stuff like that. And again, the LFC is on a different page. I, I think the, the LFC actually, um, you know, could be on board with this one. Uh, Senator John Arthur Smith has, is a co-sponsor of this uh, oh, trust yeah. fund bill. Um, there still is a separate proposal that's been around to take, uh, increase the distribution amount from the land grant permanent fund. Right. And so that'll be on the table as well. Um, but that I, has been, you know, that's that been, been shot down every year for Yeah, and that's had a hard time ever getting through the Senate. So I've learned not to predict anything at the legislature, but mm -hmm. I think this um, early childhood trust fund, from what I've heard, is getting a pretty positive reception. Uh, everybody is, yeah. Um, speaking of money, in the economy, the governor um, has agreed to put on the agenda the legalization of cannabis. Um, this has been going through a working group in the interim. Um, they're looking at it as a potential windfall for the state and a way to diversify the economy. It's also probably the most exciting tax plan we're going to talk about ever. So, Dan, what does this year's proposal look like? So this, this year's proposal, um, there was a working group that the Governor Luhan Grisham created to kind of come up with, study other states and look at previous bills. And so they've come up with this uh, huge, long bill, uh, you know, basic details. It would be about a 17% tax rate. Uh, we would use some of the money, would go to kind of supplement and subsidize the medical cannabis program. It would also go into law enforcement, DWI um, training, things like that. But I, I think it's, you know, there's going to be pushback. And if anyone has just seen this as a, as a moneymaker, I, I think it's much more complicated than that. Well, we've been looking at these proposals for several years. Nobody can be sure how much money this could possibly bring in, right? Um, one of the sticking points we've talked about before is whether counties can opt out, because not everybody's super on board here. But what does this plan say about that? Yeah, under, the, under this current recommendation, we'll see how the bill evolves, but counties would not be able to opt out. They would be able to set some limits about uh, where these dispensaries could be located and things like that, but it would be different. Like the Colorado model, uh, some counties have opted out, and uh, under this plan, they would not be able to do that. Christian, um, if this passes, what, what should we do with this money? You know, at Searchlight, we're really going to be concerned with how that money is going to be spent. In Colorado, we saw a really good model and saw a lot of uh, investment in education, in early childhood, and in public safety, like Dan has talked about, it's already in the bill. So we'll be watching closely as it develops to see exactly where that money will be going. Because we're not really talking about that right now. Right, exactly. And so we're, we've yet to see kind of how that will play out. So we'll be uh, sitting and watching closely. That's like free money, woo! <laughs> There's also a bipartisan plan to fix the state employees' pension fund. That's going to be easy, right? I was just telling Dan that one of the first stories I covered when I got to New Mexico was reforming PERA. This is back the 15 years ago. So, you know, it's, it's not an easy fix. It doesn't have enough money to pay for all the state employees who are retiring. Uh, and that's a big problem, right? So what are they uh, trying to do here? 
Uh, they're trying to make you know several changes, kind of uh, reducing the the COLA, which is the cost of living adjustment that retirees get every year. That's the really controversial part. A lot of retirees kind of are, are not on board with that idea. So I think this will be kind of a tough politically to, to push this forward. But like you said, I think there's the concern that the longer you wait on this issue, uh, the bigger problem it's going to be. Right now, you know, the pair is not in, at risk of not being able to pay retirees. But if you know. 20, 30 years down the road, it could be a pretty uh, serious situation. And this would make it solvent in 25 years from now, right? That's the projection. I mean, as Tripp mentioned, there's uh, been previous solvency uh, or pension fixes that they thought were going to be 100% funded, and that hasn't materialized. So there's a lot of variables, too. I mean, the stock market, the investments, exactly. things and like that. This and, is a powerful lobby. And, and well, I was about to say, and, and if you think about this, uh, our two legislative leaders, uh, at least the House Speaker and the Senate Majority Leader, uh, they're in the district probably with the most retirees. Santa Fe. So, I mean, there's, there's some uh, very powerful lobby. There's the politics. There's the economy. That's a good point, Tripp. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, uh, and they're aware of that. Yeah. Peter Worth and, and Brian Eagle. So the pressure is on legislative leaders to do right by the folks who live in their district who've been working for state government. And yes, and at the same time, this is a, a rule that came down like last decade from the general accounting. There, there are some needs on all ends here trying to get funded, yeah. Um, public safety. The governor approved kind of a long list of public safety issues. Um, Christian, one of them is about human trafficking. Searchlight has done some devastating reporting on this topic here. Um, what does Lujan Grisham want to change here? So it looks like uh, the governor is primarily trying to address uh, expanding the definition of what human trafficking is. Um, and also looking at uh, increasing the penalties for charges associated with that, especially with an uh, individual that's under the age of 16. Um, the story that you're refer referring to is actually somebody that was under the age of 16, and it actually highlighted another issue that I don't think the governor is going to are addressing here, um, and that is this uh, young woman. She encountered dozens of uh, health care facilities. Uh, sheriff's office, police departments in different, three different municipalities and none of them screened her for uh, human trafficking or abuse. And, and they weren't talking to each other. They, she had yeah. so many interactions with people who could have made a difference and, and nothing happened. So, you know, the governor's been talking about getting these agencies to work better together, but the story made it sound like it's not happening. Right, exactly. And so that was part of the story was we we are the ones that drew the lines in between those things and kind of put the story together and where the uh, organizations the uh, that are supposed to identify those people, they completely missed it. And, you know, I want to put another plug for that story because it made me cry. It was so good. Expanding the definition of human trafficking is exactly what that story is about. All right. Red flag laws. Let's talk about guns. The governor wants to sign a proposal to take guns away from dangerous people. Dan, how does this work? This is a controversial one. It's going to be a, a tough sledding. It, they also proposed it last year and passed the House and died in a Senate committee. Basically, it would allow, uh, if you go to a judge and he gives an order, that you could temporarily, temporarily seize firearms from an individual who's deemed to be either a threat to themselves or to others. And, you know, we've done several shows about this here uh, on New Mexico and Focus before. We've talked with domestic violence advocates about um, how frequently guns are used in the home against family members. And we've talked to suicide awareness folks about how important it is to take that away when someone is talking about that really audibly. But I want to make sure we mention one more time, you have to get a court order. 
You have to get a court order, um, and I think you know there is a lot of pushback from most sheriffs on this issue. I think there's concerns about due process, you know, mm -hmm. or it, this being used kind of uh, mm -hmm. for political reasons. Uh, Colorado just approved a law, and they're already running into some legal issues with that. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of states have moved toward this model in recent years, especially with the school shootings, as a way to try to get guns out of certain people's hands. But it is, uh, you know, legally and kind of uh, uh, practically complicated. Yes, that's a really good way to put that. Let's talk to about the environment. Lujan Grisham and uh, Democrats want to continue their push for clean energy this session. Um, they are pushing uh, Christian to reform the Public Regulation Commission that regulates utilities and energy and a lot of stuff like that. What does the PRC need reform? I mean, I think that a lot of people think that maybe it does. Um, we kind of got a great example of this dysfunction and how that's kind of impeding the governor's agenda when it comes to the clean energy transition. Um, last summer, when it comes to the closure of the PM plant in San Juan County, my home county actually, um, infighting on the panel and disagreements kind of jeopardized that transition plan and uh, left us in a position where we still don't know where PM is at on the energy transition. So. I think that was an excellent example of just exactly what happens at the PRC. Tripp, I know that you have watched uh, along with the rest of us as the legislature has tried over the years to reform this public body. They are elected from all over the state. Um, and they really don't have to have too many qualifications at this point. They, they, they do not, and it's, you know, it's important to say that the PRC itself is a reformed agency. It was something else before. And um, th this is a, a difficult uh, job to have because they are, they are actually looking over not only his health care, it's in the deep, profound environmental regulations. Um, and, you know, in the past, I remember someone that Susanna Martinez, the predecessor appointed, actually had deep understanding of oil and gas around the world and how it affected and was really uh, good. But, um, you know, he didn't survive. Yeah. Uh, she also is proposing to bring back the solar tax credit and add an electric vehicle credit. There's also a plan to make it easier to build transmission lines for renewable energy, which has been a big, big sticking point. But big picture here, in terms of this session, this is supposed to be about the budget, this is supposed to be about money. There is a big debate happening uh, over, um, you know, how we spend this windfall of money and whether we should spend how much of it. What's this look like? Um, well, I, I think, you know, they, the, the State of Commerce came, came out and said that there's $800 million more this year they have to work with than last year. Uh, people hear the word, uh, the, the phrase $800 million. Well, there are a lot of needs. There's roads, there's state agencies that, have in, that, that need to be filled. Uh, there's uh, education and the transform education folks and advocates and the plaintiffs and the Yazi Martinez are pushing to spend possibly all of that money on education. Um, and so there's also a conversation about do we need more revenue? Do we need to actually tax the, all, the, the, the wealthiest? Do we need to reform the, the personal income tax that Governor Bill Richardson changed in 2003? Mm -hmm. um, so it, 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 it's, it, that's a very complicated, very large conversation. And, and this is a, you know, we have a long history of these conversations about, we know we should save it, no, we should spend it, we have it now. How much to go in the reserves? You know, yeah, yeah and I think with the reserves, I mean, fascinating, even 10 years ago, it was usually a 10% target, and now, We've become so reliant on oil and gas. They're talking about 25 percent. Yeah, partly it's because they got they got reduced on their their bond rating. Lightning round. Let's talk about what the governor did not put on the agenda. Christian Searchlight has been reporting on some education issues that you were expecting to come up. They're not on the call now, but they could be. 
Right, yes, uh, Searchlight published a devastating story last year about the use of restraint and seclusion in uh, classrooms across New Mexico. Um, under current federal guidelines, schools are supposed to report those instances. We found that schools are not reporting them and not even reporting them to parents. Now, the governor has addressed this story um, saying that she wanted to address this issue with the policy changes at the New Mexico Public Education Department first, but it's not too late for it to be added to the call. Ten seconds, Dan. For me, uh, I think tax reform. That's a, an interesting one. The governor said she'd rather wait till next year to the 60-day session to take a bite at that and specifically trying to overhaul the, uh, the gross receipts tax rate and, and lower the base rate, get rid of some exemptions. Transparency. Transparency. Uh, we don't know how lawmakers spend their money on capital outlay stuff around the uh, state. Uh, we did a big story actually getting uh, lawmaker, 97 lawmakers to give us that information, but there's no law or rule now. It's the thing. Also, ethics commission. Funding for the ethics Funding commission. Funding for ethics commission and um, yeah. That's great. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about this stuff. We will see you up at the Capitol.